Thank you, Brother Stan. You know, we are um, so excited for the launching of the community groups. Uh, praise the Lord. I know that some of you are still on the wait list, and so we are, are sad, are heartbroken that we don't have enough leaders who are able at this time to lead more groups so that you wouldn't be uh, left out in that sense. Um, so please continue to pray and, and, and walk with us. And we're also excited that the discipleship training is beginning. Uh, we have a total of 12 sisters and uh, six brothers. Um, just to be honest, uh, in the beginning, I was, I was kind of discouraged because I was expecting like 50 sisters to sign up and like maybe 25 brothers. Um, but we are where we are, and I just give, give, give thanks to God for that. And, uh, you know, the Word of God tells us, do not despise small beginnings. But above all, I'm very encouraged that uh, the, the elders, as we were deciding who was going to lead the DT for the brothers, um, it almost turned into a fist fight. Just kidding. I mean, they, they were just so excited to serve. Uh, it was a, a blessing to see that. And we are very blessed to have leadership that actually wants to invest into our community. So thank God for that. It's great to see you guys today. My name is Doug. I'm one of the pastors who serve here. If you don't know who I am, I just want to say hello. Great to see you guys today. And I believe God has a word for us, uh, not just f- f- you know, for you through me, but also for me, that God has a word for us together because he loves us. So as you guys know, for the past three weeks, Pastor Dave uh, has launched a new series in the book of Hebrews. And as we continue to read in the upcoming weeks as well, what you'll see is where the core concern, the core heart of the writer of Hebrews is at. What he is most concerned about is that his fellow Hebrew believers, his fellow Hebrew Christians and Gentile Christians, that they don't lose their faith, that they don't lose their confidence. In fact, as we read today, what you'll notice is that the writer of of Hebrews uses confidence like a noun, and confidence is juxtaposed with Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is so concerned that his fellow believers don't give up on Jesus, but hold fast to the end. So remember, starting from Hebrews chapter 1, we read it together, that we are to look to Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God, who is the exact imprint of God's nature. And when God in the past used to speak through angels and prophets, now he speaks to us face to face through his son. So he is the preeminent one. And then Hebrews chapter 2 speaks about how though God, Jesus, is the Holy One, He is the only one who came down, took on flesh, knows what we suffer, the depth of our core of our being. Only He knows what you really suffer. And He willingly gave Himself as a sacrifice on the cross for our sins that we might be redeemed to Him. And then Hebrews chapter 3, last week, we talked about how Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. But Jesus is greater because he is the son of God, the master and the builder of the house. Therefore, hold fast to your confidence. Hold fast to Jesus. And now we look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And it begins like this. Take a moment to turn turn to there yourself. Hebrews 3, verse 7. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what it is therefore. And what it's doing is it's pointing back to Hebrews 1 through 3. Everything that he's spoken about so far. Because Jesus is preeminent. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. 
Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. God's word to us today. Please take a moment to look at that yourself. And once again, we see what is the core concern of the Hebrew writer. That his fellow Hebrew Christians and Gentile Christians don't lose their original confidence. That they would hold firm to Jesus to the end. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take a moment to unpackage this. Verse 7 through 11. The author is actually quoting from Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11. So it's interesting. They're both 7 through 11. But what's happening here is, as he begins saying this, he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit has said. And what he's doing is this. In this world that we live, there are many voices. Man's voice, woman's voice, opinions, feelings, social pressures. But those are all shakable. Those are all just opinions. It is subjective. But the Holy Spirit says, which is the divine word of God given to us, we must listen. We must listen. It does not waver. It does not shake when God speaks. His words are true. So he begins with that. And then as he starts to talk about verse 7 through 11, verse 12 through 19 is an exposition, a commentary of verse 7 through 11. It is kind of explained to us how we're to apply this, what we are to do about it. It's necessary here to note that the author does not quote from Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11, uh, for verbatim. Because in Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11, he talks about uh, Massa and Meribah. But the writer of Hebrews talks about all the wickedness and the rebellion of Israel in those 40 years. So he encapsulates all of that rebellion. So what is Massa and Meribah in the Old Testament? This is the place where Israel complained and murmured to God and to Moses that we have no water. Where's the water? Did you bring us out here to die of thirst? Now here's the sad irony. God had brought Israel, such a tremendous deliverance. You remember Israel was in slavery in Egypt for close to a couple centuries, 400 years. And they cried out because of their agony. And God sent Moses. And Moses led them out of Israel with 10 plagues. God parted the Red Sea. They crossed over on dry ground. And when the Egyptians came to pursue them, God drowned and was victorious over their enemies. God even provided for them manna every single day from heaven. 
And what he was saying was, you know what? When you were in Egypt, you worked seven days a week. But now that I brought you out, I'm bringing you into freedom. You only pick manna six days, and on the seventh day, I want you to rest. I want you to rest. And with all of this that God had shown them, what did they do? They murmured. They complained in unbelief. They could have said, God, we have no water. Please help us. We know you are our provider. You know, we know you are faithful. But no, they murmured in unbelief. God had done such a miraculous thing for the people of Israel, for his people. I, I want you to imagine, you, you guys have all seen that movie Aladdin, right? I'm sure we've all seen it. It's kind of like when Aladdin you know, has the magic carpet and he invites Jasmine on. And what does he begin to say? I can show you the world, shining, shimmering, splendid, a whole new world. That's what God wants. He wants that for Israel. Now, now what, would, what should Jasmine's response be? That's where we'll be. But instead, imagine if she had begun to say, no, you cannot. I want to be with Jafar. Take me back to Egypt. This is exactly what Israel was doing to God. I know it's kind of corny, but really, it's like, what? Get off the magic carpet ride then. But even with their rebellion, you know what God does? For 40 years, he still feeds them. He still leads them. He still protects them. And the reason why the writer of Hebrews is pointing this out to his fellow Israel, uh, Hebrew Christians is because he's concerned that they're going the same way. He's concerned that they're allowing the evil, unbelieving heart to start stirring in their own hearts. He's worried about that. He's telling them, remember how our forefathers acted towards God? Remember how they treated God? And as a result, they were not able to enter into the promised land, into his rest, into his purposes, and they died in the wilderness. Remember that? You guys all know that famous quote by Sir Winston Churchill. It says, those of us who fail to learn from our past are condemned to repeat them. And he's saying, my brothers, my fellow Hebrew Christians, my fellow Gentile Christians, you are in danger of the same fate as our forefathers. You are in danger of missing God's purpose for your life. Don't turn away from Jesus, our confidence. Now, what is going on? Why are they being tempted to turn away from Jesus? What is that evil, unbelieving heart that's creeping in, that sin that deceives? What is going on here? Now, I think we could think of some things like, oh, yeah, you know, I know what evil is, and I know what I'm... But I think Hebrews 10, 32 tells us what's going on here. Gives us a broader picture in context. 10.32, Hebrews 10.32. says this, But recall the former days, when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew you yourselves had a better possession, an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You see, these Hebrew Christians, they're not being tempted by the lure of more fame. I want to be more famous. They're not being lured away by the temptation to have more possessions. I want to have more stuff. Or even like lascivious pleasure. Like, I want to sin more. That's not what they're being tempted by. They are facing tremendous persecution. 
constantly being pressured from their Jewish and Roman society and culture. They're living in the agony and the pain of losing family, friends, homes, possessions. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So I picture this. That here are these Hebrew Christians. And they're sitting together huddled. They're struggling for dear life. And they're wondering, Jesus, how long is this persecution going to last? Jesus, when will we stop being ridiculed and cast out from our family and our community? Jesus, when will, we, when will we be able to just rest and not feel like we have to keep looking over our shoulders or fear for our life? What would you think? How would you respond? I think the persecuted church in parts of the world where they have to hide, I think they could understand this. So here they are, huddled together, clinging for life. And one of them says this, you know Levi? And they're like, yeah, I know Levi. He denied Christ. But he was returned all his property and he was restored to his family. Remember Deborah? Yeah, she denied Christ too. But she was let out of jail and she was reunited with her children. I heard about Joseph too. Joseph, his store was about to be ransacked. But then he just said out loud, like, I don't follow Jesus. I follow Moses and the law. And they left his store alone. Now, I'm not saying that we should, but maybe we should not talk about Jesus. It's the yeast of evil. An unbelieving heart starts to come in. And that murmurs into their hearts saying, Jesus is not worthy of believing. Jesus is not worthy of living for, not to mention dying for. Jesus hasn't spared us from the persecution and trouble. Look at all the way that they, look at the way they live. They don't even believe in Jesus and they're so prosperous. And the deceitfulness of sin starts to come in. When we think of the word sin, we sometimes think like stealing, murder, adultery. We think that's what sin is and it is. But the Greek word sin means harmatia, which means to miss the mark. And so the deceitfulness of sin is this, that you can actually miss Christ. You can misplace Christ from your life and you'll still be okay. Just to be fine. That's the deceitfulness of sin. And what's happening now is as they're letting this in, their hearts begin to doubt their original confidence and they begin to see confidence in other things. What do you think? Now, I know that we in the West, we don't face this kind of temptation to turn away from Jesus because of violent persecution, at least not yet. Not like the Hebrew Christians did in the time. But we face a different kind of temptation. Different than our older brothers and sisters in Hebrews, but I believe just as sinister. And it's this. Sure, believe in Jesus, but just keep it to yourself. You can believe in Jesus all you want, but don't talk about it in public, at work. Our society and our flesh tells us God has no place in the public arena. Don't talk about him because he's offensive to people. And what happens is, thereby Jesus has no impact, no relevance in our work or in our relationships. Worship Jesus hard on Sundays, but the rest of the week, give yourself for something else, something more worth it. 
See, if we allow that evil, unbelieving heart to enter in, then we see that actually God makes no difference in our family, in our relationships, in our work. We start to believe and become, get this hardened heart. We become like functioning atheists. As long as I have money in the bank, a good job, a relatively healthy family, and okay relationships, I'm pretty confident in my life. We say things like, yeah, God is real and he's important, just not that important. We are free free in the West to worship God on our own terms, but when he calls us to himself, or when he calls us for his purposes, how do we respond? Nope, not worth it. Can't obey, too busy. I got better things to do. Brothers and sisters, is this not a hardened heart? Is this not a hardened heart? What happens when we let go of our confidence, then what ends up happening is we actually have no rest or the rest of God. We have no courage and we have no ability to move into God's purposes. And I'll elaborate that in a, in a, in a, in a moment. You see, this is what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about. Not just for his day, but for our day too. Are you letting go of your confidence in, uh, in Christ and thereby putting your confidence into something else because we cannot live in a vacuum. We will always put our confidence into something. But is that something able to sustain you? I have a friend that I've been meet, talking with online, like, just a full honest disclosure, I play Fortnite, okay? Uh, I know. <laughs> Corny, what kind, of, what kind of pastor are you? I started because my son was home from college and I wanted to spend time with him. So I started, okay? <laughs> I don't know why I have to explain myself. It's not a sin. But then when I started playing, he's like, Dad, you stink. You can't play with me. So, okay, fine. So anyway, I meet people. I met this one gentleman from Florida. And just when the Hurricane Ian was hitting. And I said to him, are you okay? He goes, yeah, I'm on the west coast of Florida. I'm fine. You know, I've been through hurricanes before. And, you know, my, my house is strong. Whatever. And I was like, but isn't there like a warning? Like, and he, I heard it in the background. Dee, dee, dee. Like, get out, get out. Dee. He's like, ah, it's Okay. And that was the last, and the last talk I had with him, he was like, oh, the lake in front of my house is rising. And then I didn't hear him from him. So for the next four days, I'm just like, we're like what, what's going on? I'm worried. He has no phone. He has... Finally, I see him on Fortnite. <laughs> and I was like, Max, are you okay? He's like, oh my gosh, that, that, that was horrendous. This, it was the worst sound I ever could hear. It was so scary. And I was like, just four days ago, you had so much confidence. You see, yeah, you could put confidence into things in this world, but be honest, how long does that last? How eternal, how objectively substantial is that what you put your confidence in? And he said, I drove over to my parents-in-law's house, and they live in a really nice neighborhood, and I saw as I'm driving Bentleys floating around in the river with alligators. Brothers and sisters, Jesus said this, he who hears my words, and obeys them, is like a man who built his house upon a solid rock. When the waves and the winds and the storm blew, it did not fail because it was built on the rock. But whoever hears my words and does not do them, they're building their house upon the sand. And when the waves come and the winds hit, it will crumble and it will be a mighty thud. The writer of Hebrews is saying, please, please don't let go of your confidence. Don't let go of Christ. Because nothing else can sustain you. Nothing else can uphold you. Nothing else can give you courage. Nothing else can give you rest. And nothing else can lead you into your purposes that he has for you. 
And because he's so concerned about this, he says this, not just pointing out Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11, he starts saying in verse 7, there's three things that we can do to stand firm against the hardening of heart. Three things. Number one, verse 7, he says, Here, listen to the Holy Spirit. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Not what man says. Not your feelings. Not what the culture says. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he says this, take care. Which means be on the lookout. When you start to notice that there are things in your heart that start to spring up and you go, wait, is that from God? Like, I'm really anxious. Oh my gosh, I'm really worried. You know what anxiety is? Anxiety is simply a display of what's going on deeper, saying that I don't really trust that God is with me. Because if you believe that God is all-powerful and God is all-loving and God is able to lead you, then what are you being anxious about? That anxiety reveals that you don't really trust that God is with you or that you are with God. You have to start to be on the lookout. Like, what? I'm starting to see some things that are like evil, that are unbelieving towards God. Be on the lookout for that. And then thirdly, here in verse 13, exhort one another every day. That word exhort is the Greek word paraclete, which is also the name of the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside and supports us. We are to exhort one another. Now think about this. Listen, be on guard, exhort. Think about this. What are all of these? These are all intentional actions. This is your responsibility. No one can do this for you. You are the one. You are individually responsible to be the one to listen to the Holy Spirit, to watch out, be on guard, look out, to exhort. That's your responsibility. But what's the beautiful thing is this, is that if we do this individually and then we start to do it corporately, then our community begins to change and our community beyond that begins to change. You see, Jesus Christ, he did the saving work. He gave his life on the cross and gives us salvation. We cannot earn it. We cannot gain it. He gives it to us. But now that he's given this to us, our responsibility is to choose today. I will listen to the Holy Spirit. In fact, this past week as I was, uh, I don't know about you guys, maybe some of you guys are like really spiritual. You guys could get into God's presence and hear his voice really clearly. If it is, please spend time with me. I want to learn more. But for me, listening to God takes a long time. Like I will literally have to play like three, four songs and worship, three, four songs. And just yesterday morning, I was praising God and I had like third, third, fourth song, like 20 minutes in, I'm like, oh, this is good. Oh man, it sounds good. Hallelujah. And then after, I, after I'm playing a little bit, all of a sudden, I just feel God say to me, you're just singing. And I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I was like, do you believe that I only deserve 80% of your heart? And I said, no, Lord, you deserve it all. It's all or nothing. You see, when we listen to the Holy Spirit, it's not, he doesn't try to condemn us, but it's because he wants to pull us out of slavery, out of brokenness, out of lostness, into his glorious light, into his freedom. But you got to be the one to choose to listen. You got to be the one to choose to stay on guard against an evil, unbelieving heart. And you got to be the ones to exhort one another. You have to be the one to exhort your soul and exhort one another. Now, I don't know how many parents are in here, but parents who are little kids, I, I challenge you, go home and ask your kids, kids, what does mom and dad always say to you? And they're going to be, that's easy, go study. Right? No, 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 I mean, besides, what else? Uh, did you finish your homework? Oh, okay. But if this is what our children are saying that we say all the time, what are we telling them? What are you telling them? Your confidence is in your grades. Those of you who are not married or maybe, you know, a single or whatever, when you talk to each other, 
your fellow peers, what do you, what do you ask them? What do I always say? Oh, when am I going to get married? Or, 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 or that, that thing with that guy didn't work out. It's okay, you're still young. You find somebody else. So what should they put their confidence in? That they're young? Where's the mention of God? When, some, when, when there's a married couple and they're trying to have a child and they're like, oh, I don't have a child. We don't have a child yet. Oh, it's okay. You could try this, try this. I know it comes from a good intention. I know it comes from a good heart, but where is the exhortation of Christ? Where are we pointing our brothers and sisters to have confidence in? Should it not be that God is with you? God loves you. God will lead you. Continue to be faithful to God. He has his purpose for your life. Hold on to him. That's the exhortation that we need to have for one another. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says is our way to stand against losing our confidence. Now I'm going to close with this. Now even though the writer of Hebrews points out Psalm 95, 7 through 11, the failure of the forefathers, the Hebrew writers, I mean the Hebrew listeners, they know that story. They know the 40-year wilderness story. So even though it doesn't say it, what does their attention also go to? Yeah, many people didn't make it in, but there were some who did. Joshua and Caleb. They remember that too. And if you remember in Numbers 13, God, just like he said, faithfully brought Israel through the wilderness, fed them like 2 million people every day, brought them to the border and said, I want you to take it over now. So Moses sends out 12 spies. All 12 spies go in and they see the exact same thing. They come back and they give their report. They say, this land is flowing with milk and honey. In fact, check these grapes out. It says the grape cluster was so heavy that two men had to carry it on a stick. Could you imagine the size of those grapes? But the 10 spies, what'd they say? They're giants. Their cities are fortified. We can't take that land. We're like grasshoppers. What did you do, Moses? You brought us out here to, to kill us? We, should, we were better off in Egypt. What was their confidence? Their confidence was vapor. They, they're focused on their circumstances. They're focused on the military might. They're focused on everything else except the one that they're supposed to be focused on, their confidence. But their confidence is vapor. So they're in fear, in bitterness, complaining. But then... We have Joshua and Caleb. What do they say? Let us go at once. We can take this land. And the other time, like, what did you see? No, it's not about what they saw. They saw the exact same thing. The difference is what is their confidence? What is Joshua and Caleb's confidence? God. God is with us. Who can be against us? Yeah, we're going to have to fight. Yeah, it's going to be a battle. But God is faithful, he is preeminent, and he will give us victory. Let's go. What are we waiting for? Sadly, the exhortation from the ten spies won. And they started to think about, they wanted to kill Moses. And God says, you know what, that's it. For 40 years, even though I've shown you my faithfulness, 40 years, this generation is going to die. But there's a generation that did go in, the generation of Joshua and Caleb. They got to go in because why? They put their confidence in the Lord. Now think about what happens with Joshua and Caleb. Because of their confidence, right? They're holding on to God. What happens in them? They have courage. Brothers and sisters, what do we need in this day? We need courage. They, had, they knew God's rest and they moved forward into God's purposes. 
And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is telling us today. Jesus Christ, who is greater than the angels, greater than Moses, the preeminent one who gave himself for us, he's telling us, don't let go of him. It's going to be difficult. It's just challenges, I know, but don't let go of him because nothing else can be our true confidence. Everything else will fail. Brothers and sisters, I pray that we will learn to exhort our souls, but also exhort one another to hold firmly on to Christ. Let's pray together.